0: Romans chapter 8, verse 1 states it, says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful verse? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Those are beautiful words. They have the sense of release, if you will. For some, they have a sense of hope for others. Those of us that are in Christ Jesus know that there is therefore now no condemnation. Whereas all of us, because we are sinners by nature, have faced the condemnation that would have been ours. But that verse states it very well. So why are you here today? Why are you here today? Well, of course, we're here to worship. That's what we say. To understand the grace of God. But for some, maybe it's more that we need to receive that grace because we haven't yet. And you need to know that verse, that there is therefore now no condemnation. I hope that through the course of this time that we have together, that that will come out. As we begin in Mark chapter 14, about three weeks ago on Wednesday night, I knew for a long time that I would be preaching today. And uh, I always ask the Lord to give me something new and fresh. I never try to pull something back out. And so three weeks ago, as we were sitting in Wednesday night, pastor's been teaching through the gospel of Mark. And he was on these verses and God spoke to me in certain ways, that plus what we were going through, and we started a new study with the men, which I will incorporate some of that into here. And uh, <clears throat> as, as we were here looking at it, and as I was looking at it, uh, I'm not a preacher, as uh, called by God to be a preacher, I'm a teacher. I believe that was a calling that God has on my life. And, and so I try to go in that vein uh, as we go through, and God just shows me things, and And uh, I'm not, uh, if you want, uh, if you came this morning at 8.30, you'd have gotten the meat of the matter, the meat of the message, if you will. Tonight, with somebody else preaching, you'll get all the vegetables and all the the potatoes and all that stuff that go along with the meal. I'm here to put the garnish on, if you will, if I have a small part, if I could just put that little garnish on the plate. So it, it might come early, but... Um, that's all I care to do, is if I, that, that's all I do, that that's well and done. As we go through to Mark chapter 14, I'll have five different little scenarios, if you will. We're going to talk about the time that this occurs. We're going to talk about the tensions that are there, and those will take up the bulk of the message time, and then we'll speed through the touch of a woman, the tenderness of the Savior, and then the teaching that we need to employ. And that's going to be basically the outline. Uh, And we'll try to go through it in that fashion as we go through. So as we begin to look at the the Gospel of Mark and we start reading, let's look at the text, and I will read and you follow. It says, Now the Passover of unleavened bread were two days away, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how they might seize him with stealth and kill him. For they were saying, Not during the festival, otherwise there might be a riot of the people. So while he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial, a very costly perfume of pure nard, and she broke the vial and poured it over his head. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they were scolding her. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you wish, you can do good to them. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done, will also be spoken of in memory of her. So we're setting the time. So the time in, in, that we're looking at is, uh in a time of the Passion Week of Christ, if you will. It's in that period of time. But before we go there very much, turn over to John chapter 12. It's a familiar verse. It's the same story, if you will, but with a little different uh, things that you might find in there that aren't mentioned here. So in John chapter 12... I'm looking at the first first eight and nine verses. Well, let's just say the first eight verses. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Isn't that kind of important? I mean, that's a pretty good little piece of information, but it's not included in the Gospel of Mark. I'm going to tell us why, because the focus of the Gospel of Mark is entirely different than the focus of the Gospel of John. And the teaching that's going to be included in the Gospel of Mark is different than what's being focused on here. So as we see, Lazarus is there. He was just risen from the dead. Martha is is serving. Mary is the person has done, just took a pound of very costly perfume, a pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? Now, he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And he used to pilfer from the money box what was put into it. Therefore, Jesus said, let her alone that she may keep it for the day of my burial. You always had to pour with you, but you would not always to have me. So what we see here, we see a difference in some of what there. It helps to fill out exactly what was going on. But you see the Gospel of Mark and John have a different focal point and teaching. And that's where we're going to go. We're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, of course. But who are those that are mentioned in in the Gospel of Mark? We see in, in the Gospel of John, we see Lazarus and we see Mary mentioned, but their names are excluded from the text in Mark. Is that an oversight of God? Did he forget? Absolutely not. His inspiration of Scripture was for a purpose, and we better well learn the purpose of why that's there. And so... This is the period of time of the Passion Week of Christ, His last week alive as a human being on earth. And uh, we're coming in into two days to the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And we're going to come in to the the time of the triumphal entry. But if you look back to the Gospel of Mark, as we're looking there, and we have this uh, this, uh, feast going on, this dinner going on, what should be their focus during this time? Well, we're telling you, it's the Passion Week. This is the time of the Passover. This is the time they ought to be so focused on what God has done in their life. In and through the whole nation of Israel, all throughout history, the Passover stands as the pinnacle of everything that their, their whole faith stands for, as well as ours. It's the time of God's deliverance, if you will, from the bondage and slavery of sin and of Egypt. It pictures well the whole salvation experience. This ought to be what is forefront in their mind, what is in the focal point of their attention. But what are they doing? Muttering about, about what somebody is doing that they think ought not to be done. And casting their disparaging comments and and their condemnations upon a person. And uh, their time ought to be focused on what God has done not what somebody else is doing. I dare say that there's a lot of times people might come to church and the church is guilty of the same thing. They're more condemning of what, what the person who is in their midst than they are of what the focus of what they're supposed to be here for. They're more concerned about their own thoughts and their own judgmental attitudes than they are about worshiping the Savior and what God has done. So church, I want to tell you, that's where we're going with this message. This is a message for the church. And so what the time frame is ought to be what we understand our focus to be. And your focus today should be entirely upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Not any distractions around you. Not about anybody else around you. Let them alone. You get your attention right. So as we go on, we see the tensions that are about to go there. So what appears to be their focus? Well, their focus is focusing on Mary, well, uh, the unnamed person in the text. Unnamed for a purpose, isn't it? Because if you'll notice in this text, there's really only two names that are mentioned. Judas and Simon. And so that's going to be very important to the understanding of the text as well. So, they're having, they're having their thoughts and all about how somebody else ought to behave at this time. What do you think they should do with their stuff? You know, it was entirely hers. What is the business of theirs? Could she not do whatever she wanted with her things that she could worship God the way she chooses and pleases? So many times I think the church tries to dictate how people ought to worship. You can't do that we're a Baptist church <laughs> yeah now be careful now I don't, I, don't, I don't go along with trying to get into undisciplined chaos but there ought to be a sweet release an ability to be able to worship God without anybody having to worry about what dispersions are going to be cast upon them but the church is guilty my friends of sometimes doing that. May God work in His Spirit to do wherever He's going to do to that today. Sometimes the church will take a holier-than-thou attitude. That's, an, uh, that, that's something that's been said at the church before, and uh, sadly, sometimes it's right. Sometimes it's true. It's not unusual for people in church to impose their own sense of morality and their own good judgment on somebody else and it's not your place to do so Jesus I have never seen in the scriptures where he said he relegated that authority to you he has maintained that himself and so we might take note of that by reading the different accounts we see that there's different things that might could be brought into the text but If you bring other things into this text, then you're missing the point. So let's try to stay on the focus, if you will. So let's look again, then, before we jump to conclusions about this. What are they doing? They're focusing on what they believe to be somebody's flaws. What they think somebody ought to do. And so that is not uncommon. But let's look at the two people that are mentioned in the text. Because I think that bears a lot of weight into what's going on in the text. There's two names, right? One of them is Judas Iscariot. He's one of two people mentioned in the text. But now, there's a lot of other people participating. Have you ever seen that happen in a church? There's a couple of people that start the instigation of things, and there are a lot of others that participate. If you'll read the text, that's kind of happening because there's somebody that's saying everything, but everybody seems to be in agreement. They're all muttering. And where is that said? You know, and when she was doing it, but some were indignantly remarking to one another. Why has this perfume? So you see what the scenario is, is that there are some that are instigating and others that are participating. You're guilty on both scents, if you will, if you're a part of it. So here they are, they're instigating and they're casting their dispersions and disparaging remarks upon this woman. And we're talking about who it is. We see about Judas. Well, Judas is the one who is about to betray him. Not only that, but if you did bring in from the John chapter 12 text, we see that he was the one that used to pilfer from the bag anyway. Who is he to be condemning her? You get the text? That's what the text is talking about. Here we have people who are, if you will, in the church or in the in crowd, and they have, you have, I have no right to say anything about anybody else because I'm no different. I cannot cast a dispersion on somebody because I know who I am and what I've been and what I've done. And what he's forgiven me of. Just because he might have forgiven me of it, that does not give me an authority or right to become the moral compass for anybody. Too often, people do not come to the church because they feel the church is going to condemn them and cast dispersions and disparagement upon them. That is a sad commentary. Of the church that I believe is what the text is talking about now the time if I go back to that is going to be about 56 more days and the church is going to be instituted this is a horrible thought If, if things were a little different in 56 days Judas and Simon will probably be the leaders of the church Can you picture that? Yeah, I see all the wrinkled noses. But Judas was the one who was right up there in the top. He was one of the disciples, the apostles, if you will. Simon, one of the first ones in the church, charter member. How about that? Navy guy's a plank owner. Ask the Navy guy for that one. But uh, that's who that would be. These are the... The cream, if you will. Wow. Let's go to the other guy that's mentioned, Simon. What does the text say behind that word, Simon? The leper. Here's a man who ought to be the one to understand her more than anybody else. He ought to be the one that knows what it's like to face the derision, the scorn of people. Because he was a leper. He was the outcast. He was the one. And maybe even at that table, he might have been way down at that end because he couldn't be in amongst the rest of them. And whatever he touched, they couldn't touch. He had no right to say anything about her. He should have been the one to come into her defense. He should have been the one to say, oh, I know what you're feeling like. I know what it's like to have people cast their scorn down on me. I know that feeling, that hurt, that heartache. That's Simon the leper. Should he not have been participating in that? But he's mentioned. Why are only those two mentioned? I think that's why the text did that. I think that's why God did that. They, neither one, of course, not any of us, have a right to scorn anybody. Even those of us inside the church, the true church, those of us are redeemed, saved by His blood, saved from what? Do you not remember? What it took to save you. What? Does that give us a right to scorn somebody else? That ought to give us the ability and understanding to receive somebody else. Not to cast them away. Not to talk bad about them. Not to scorn them for what they do. Was she doing anything illegal or unlawful? Uh, Not even that. What is it that we do today as a church sometimes that would cause our church to be something that somebody would say, oh, I don't want to go there. What is it that you could be or could do today that might cause somebody to say, I'd like to go there. They'll love you. Yeah, they might know what you've done. They might know who you are, but they're going to love you. They don't don't necessarily have to accept what you are or have done, but they're going to love you because they understand what it's like to sit under condemnation. That's what ought to have been done, hasn't it? Simon, the leper. Judas, the thief. And then the rest that might have been joining in that crowd, murmuring around. And that's not a that's not a prayer service or share service either. These ought to have been the ones to love her. And I dare say we still have their kinfolk around today. I cannot emphasize too strongly that church today can be just like that. I've seen it, I've heard about it. I've even participated in it, and you probably have too. But God has to work on all of us. I have to remember what I was saved from and who I was. So we saw the time, we saw the tension. Gonna see the touch of the woman, if you will. And we'll keep her anonymous, although I've already broke it out of the bag. You know who she is. Because the focus is not on her at this text, is it? It was in the other one. Can you picture, and I'm going to go ahead and chase that rabbit for a moment. I'm going to go back to John in my mind here, John chapter 12. And John chapter 11 was where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. All of this crowd over here knows that. They did a great study in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 12, now Lazarus is sitting right there at the table, and his sister Mary is the one with the vial. Now, that could be brought back into the text in in Mark as well, because shouldn't they have known what was going on in her? Not too long ago, her brother was dead. And Jesus raised him from the dead. Here he is sitting at the table. And she's worshiping her Savior who did it. Who raised him from the dead. I don't care. She's got this no care. I don't care who else is around. I'm going to praise him. There you go. Somebody turning loose. but you don't have to cast dispersions on that because if you feel like praising God, you do it. I don't, I don't care what anybody else thinks. And you all know that. I don't care what you think. <laughs> <Alex>. <laughs> I'm going to praise my Savior. I'm going to love Him. I, now, we don't have to get undisciplined. We don't have to get chaotic or, sh- or do a show. But when you've got something boiling up in here, and you don't let it out, there's something wrong. If you're going to let it out, go ahead and let it out and worship. Don't worry about what anybody else will say. They're just going to go to Keith and complain. That's all right. Just let them go to Keith. He's got a long line, stands outside the door. (laughs) Let it out. In John chapter 12, she had a good reason to do what she did. But in Mark chapter 14, even in John 12, they were disparaging that. You could have done something different. Jesus tells them, if you want to feed the poor, you feed the poor. That was her stuff. She used it as she wanted to. If you think it's so important, don't cast dispersion on her. Go out and do what you say you think you ought to be done. There you go. Take that home. You don't have to cast out on anybody else. People need to know that there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Especially in this place. And we better learn that that's true. Because that's what they were doing. And, the, and the, these are the people who had no right. And if you'll think about it, you and I have no right either. And if you'll think about it farther, you'll notice that nowhere in the scriptures does it say we have been given the ministry of condemnation. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation to bring people to Christ, to love them back to him, into the family. And Sometimes, yeah, maybe they don't do what you think is right, but they need to know the love of a Savior. So the touch of the woman, she's the anonymous person. The focus is not, in Mark 14, the focus is not on her act. The focus is on the other's actions and reactions to her act. And that's where we need to watch out and see the teaching that Christ has set before us. We know that it was a very costly thing that she did, not just monetarily, but it was a costly thing because of the dispersions and the attitudes that were cast in upon her and the derision that she encountered. And you and I, sometimes, because of who we are and what we have with Christ, are going to be given all kinds of grief. But that's all right. It doesn't matter what they think. It matters what you're doing and how you're worshiping your Savior. Whatever they thought, it didn't matter because what she did was pleasing to the Lord. And that's where you need to be. Pleasing the Lord. He accepted her worship and it was very timely indeed so there we see the tenderness of the savior the fourth part we know that he's a friend of sinners that he's not accepting sin but he is accepting the sinner even judas Judas iscariot he accepted even simon the leper he accepted and forgave them i don't know that judas ever really truly was saved or forgiven had he desired it, had he sought it, he would have received it. Because he paid the price for even him. We see a similar account in Luke chapter 7, maybe not the same people in earlier. But we know that Christ is willing to receive everyone who would come to him in faith believing. The problem is as much time the church stands in the way. And so the message goes out to you, the church. You better watch what you think you're supposed to be about and what you're saying and how you're saying it because it can have a devastating effect upon the work that you've been called to do. Our men's group has started a study, and I'm going to take a little time to go in and even do some lengthy reading for you. It's a study by Philip Yancey called What's So Amazing About Grace? Grace. Uh, Very prolific author. A couple of things just to start with as he started it. He says, I truly believe that the future of the church depends on how we master the art of dispensing grace. Let that start coming in to focus here. Another thing he says, he says, as I look back, he's reflecting on his own life. As I look back on my own pilgrimage, he says, Marked by wanderings, detours, dead ends, I see now that what pulled me along was my search for grace. He said, I rejected the church for a time because I found so little grace there. I returned because I found it nowhere else. Where else do you receive it? There is no other place. But too often the church isn't the one that gives it when they ought to be. There's another story that I read. <clears throat> Tony Campolo, this is going to be a little lengthy for you, but it's, it's, it's a really good story. It's Tony Campolo, who is a Christian author, speaker, pastor, tells about being invited to speak in Honolulu one time and having trouble getting his body to adjust to the 10-hour time shift from his home in Philadelphia. He wound up wide awake at 3 o'clock in the morning drinking coffee in an all-night diner. Picture this now. Presently, the door opened, and in came about eight women laughing and talking loudly. Campolo soon deduced that they were streetwalkers finished with their evening's work and relaxing before going home to sleep. One, named Agnes, mentioned to her friend that the next day would be her 39th birthday. After the group left, Campolo got a bright idea, and he said to the gruff proprietor behind the counter, did you hear what that woman said that tomorrow was her birthday? What do you say we throw her a party? I'll come back tomorrow night with some decorations and let's surprise her with the cake and everything. And the man's wife came out of the kitchen and said, both of them said, that's a wonderful idea, let's do it. Twenty-four hours later, the little diner was decorated with streamers and balloons. A festive sign was taped to the mirror, and the couple had put out the word on the street, and a large assortment of night people were gathered. And when the prostitutes came in for their usual coffee, the shout went up, Happy birthday, Agnes! The woman stood speechless as the singing began. Tears started streaming. Not her cheek. Nobody had shown her genuine kindness in years. Let that sink in. No one had shown her genuine kindness in years. The owner brought out the birthday cake with candles, and Agnes was in such shock, that she had to be reminded to blow them out. And she paused again, well, cut the cake, Agnes, the proprietor said. And she finally found words when the whisper. She said, please, I-, I just want to keep the cake. I- I'll take it down to my apartment down the street for, just for a couple days. Please just let me keep the cake. No one knew how to respond, but no one could think of any reason to refuse her. So out the door she fled, holding the cake as if it were the Holy Grail. An awkward silence filled the room, and Campolo finally broke in with another suggestion. I have another idea. Why don't we pray? So without hesitation, he began to voice a prayer for Agnes that God would bless her on her birthday, that God would bring peace into her life and save her from all that troubled her. And at the amen, the diner owner said, hey, you didn't tell me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you preach at? And Campola thought for a moment, cocked his head sideways, and with with a little grin, Well, I preach at the kind of church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. (laughs) What happened next was the most poignant moment of all. The man squinted at Campola and said, No, no, you don't. There's no church like that. If there was, I'd join one. What's missing? Jesus accepted her gift. And he rebuked their judgmental attitudes. So what's the teaching for us today? We always need to be aware that we are recipients of grace, but we've not been given a ministry of condemnation. We always need to be aware that we're not charged with condemnation to be dispensing that, but we're charged to be dispensing grace to people wherever you find it. You could love people without having to accept some of the things that they might do how else will they know the Savior that you and I know? That he can save them from that sin. That they could be totally forgiven, having come and been washed by his blood. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation, not condemnation. Jesus alone retains the authority, even today, to cast judgment. And I ask you to go back in your memory now to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, the scribes and Pharisees were trying to trip Jesus up, trying to bring him into condemnation, and they brought into his presence. He was in the temple teaching. They brought into his presence a woman that was caught in the very act of adultery. Fast forward to the end. When Jesus said something that said to them says he is who is without sin cast the first stone he didn't take the law away he just took away their authority to use it and so they all dispersed as he was riding on the ground now there's a lot to be said about what that might have been and then he looks up at the end and he says woman where are they thine accusers has no man condemned thee and she says no man lord What did he say? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You see, even today, Jesus is not in the condemnation mode. He's in the salvation mode. He's in reconciliation. He's not condemning anybody. If he were, then all of us would fall under that. Today, he's receiving anybody not condemning anybody. We better understand who we're working for. We better understand what grace is and what it's been in my life, in your life, and that it's available even today to someone else, and that you and I play a part in them receiving that grace. We need to be constantly on our guard that we do not fall and falter back into that kind of attitude to become as they were, those two that were mentioned. We need to be able to express, if you are in here, you need to be able to express your worship without fear of condemnation of those that be around you. And as I said, I don't believe in the unprincipled and undisciplined chaos but I believe in freedom of worship to be able to express that which wells up from inside. It ought to come out. And sometimes we wonder, Judy wonders, whether you really got anything in there with the way you sing. Belt it out! Aren't you happy in praising the Lord? They ought to hear us without the, without the amplification. They ought to hear us way down the road because we really understand what has happened in our life. That ought to be. Don't feel like you have to be the quietest one on your pew. He you just said, make a joyful noise. Let it out. You have this opportunity in this place to do so. Worship is that which explodes out from hearts that are grateful, because they understand what he did that's what worship is I began with Romans chapter 8 and I'm ending there right now there is therefore now no condemnation now that's for you that are in Christ Jesus And it's for you that have not yet received Christ. We're not here to condemn you. We're here to help you know the Savior. That's the invitation for you today. How I pray that anything that would distract or cause you not to come forward if you need to, to know that Savior that loves you, that we would want to share with you who He is and how you too can know Him and how you can walk out of here justified, forgiven, cleansed, white as snow, as we sang. Oh, that we might all have that as our banner of truth today. That's my invitation for you today. So Judy, as you come forward and Miss Barbara, as you go to the piano, the invitation. I don't know where you're at. I don't know how God spoke to you. But I think the church needs to take a lesson today too. That if there's something you need to get right with God because of your attitude, then you do so today. I'll be standing out front as well as others to receive Whoever the Lord sends, would you stand? Father, I give it to you. In Jesus' name.